So 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11. And the little title here in the NIV is The Resurrection of Christ. Paul writes, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. So we're coming towards the end of our series in the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is 1 to 11 tonight. So the Apostle Paul's first epistle, first letter to the church in the city of Corinth. Now, who can tell me which country this city of Corinth is in? Do you think you know, Lydia? What is it? Greece. That's right, yeah. Corinth is a city in Greece. Now, the Greeks didn't believe in the resurrection of their bodies. The Greeks didn't believe in the general resurrection of the dead. And do you remember what happened when the Apostle Paul was preaching about the resurrection in Athens? Now, Athens, the capital city of Greece, do you remember what happened there in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 and 18? So, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this. Why? 
because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So the Greek philosophers didn't like this resurrection. And then what do we read in verses 30-32 of Acts chapter 17? The Apostle Paul still preaching here in Athens, the capital city of Greece. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by rising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. I don't know what that is, sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So most Greeks thought that the human body was like this prison, that your spirit would be glad to sort of escape from and enter the spiritual world, isn't it? So the Greek philosopher is saying, the human body is a bad thing. It's like a prison. Your spirit needs to escape from it and enter the spiritual world. That would be far, far better. So the Greeks were like, why on earth would you want your body to be resurrected? Why would you want that again? And as Christians, we we kind of believe that, don't we? We desperately long to escape from this body that's sinful and fallen and imperfect, don't we? We long for our spirits to be with Jesus, but our hope also is for the resurrection of our bodies. But not a decaying body. Not a mortal body, but an incorruptible body, a perfect resurrection body. We long for the day when our souls and our spirits will be sort of reunited with our resurrection bodies. But the Greeks didn't like this idea of their bodies being resurrected. So from reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 if we read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we get the impression, don't we, that there were people in the church at Corinth who didn't believe that their bodies would be resurrected one day. So there were even some believers in this church at Corinth who didn't believe that their bodies would one day be resurrected. So I believe in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is explaining three things to the church in Corinth in this chapter. Firstly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is explaining why their bodies will be resurrected. And secondly, what their resurrection bodies and the resurrection life will be like. We'll come on to that in coming weeks. And then thirdly, when their bodies will be resurrected. When will that happen? So tonight, we're just going to think about the first point. Why will the bodies of Jesus' followers be resurrected? That's a great question. Why 
will our bodies one day be resurrected? What's the answer to that question? Well, first and foremost, the bodies of Jesus' followers will be resurrected one day because Jesus' body was resurrected, isn't it? So Paul starts with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus rose from the dead, then the bodies of his followers will also be resurrected one day. But then the big question is, how do we know that Jesus rose from the dead? So you can almost imagine the conversation that would be going on here, isn't it? The sort of internal dialogue. Okay, Paul, so our bodies will be resurrected one day because Jesus' body was resurrected. But how do we know that Jesus was resurrected? And in verses 1 to 11, Paul gives us three blocks of evidence to prove to us that Jesus has risen from the dead. Isn't that exciting? How do we know? How do you know? with all our heart, that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And I think it's quite exciting. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 11, we're given three blocks of evidence. So we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And the first block of evidence is our salvation. Our salvation. The fact that we're saved tonight, if we are indeed saved tonight, is proof that Jesus has risen from the dead. And we get this from verses 1 to 4. What do we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So how were we saved, according to verse 2? How were we saved, according to verse 2? By the gospel. We are saved by the gospel. And what is the gospel? According to verse 3 and 4, the gospel is Christ died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. Isn't that glorious? We are saved by the gospel and the gospel is Christ died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. Now if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we haven't got a gospel and we can't be saved. Isn't that true? Because a dead saviour can't save anyone. We serve a risen saviour, don't we? Jesus is alive, and he is the saviour of the world. Now, many people in this city of Corinth had had their lives transformed. Why? Because they heard the gospel preached to them. They believed the gospel that was preached to them. They received the gospel that was preached to them. And they took their stand on the gospel, didn't they? 
So Paul's argument really is, the reason your lives have been transformed is because Jesus rose from the dead. That's what Paul is saying. The reason your lives have been transformed is because Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason why we have peace, why we have joy, why we have hope, the reason why we produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit is because Jesus has risen from the dead, isn't it? But sadly, there are some people who call themselves Christians who don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Isn't that absurd? Well, really, they're not Christians. You can't be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I'm ashamed to say that in a town in Wales this weekend, there's a debate going on, and the debate is entitled, Is Christianity a Myth? And when I sort of read a bit about the people who are speaking... They've basically come to the conclusion even before the debate. So there was an atheist scientist in the debate. There was a a liberal. There was a a politician. And they were going to have a debate. And basically, they're all going to agree that Christianity is a myth. Because this is what uh, one of the liberals says. He's a, a churchgoer, but this is what he said. I needed to redefine what the resurrection means to me. I said, why do you need to do that? (laughs) Why do you need to redefine what the resurrection means to you? So it's like, oh, the resurrection is just like a a spiritual thing. Jesus didn't literally uh, rise from the dead. It was just like a spiritual resurrection. And he's sort of alive in our hearts by his spirit. Just nonsense, isn't it? So that's the first block of evidence. If someone is saved, if someone has had their life transformed, it's because of the gospel, and the gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection. And then the second uh, block of evidence is the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. For I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, we're all uh, very familiar with the prophecies in the Old Testament about the cross, aren't we? We heard a great one earlier, didn't we? Isaiah 53. And Psalm 22 is a very popular one, isn't it? And the Passover in the book of Exodus, all pointing forward to the cross. Very clear pictures of the cross in the Old Testament. But what about the resurrection? If someone asked you to show them in the Old Testament where the resurrection of Jesus is prophesied, would you know where to turn? If someone asked you, show me the cross in the Old Testament, I think, I think we'd be a bit more confident, wouldn't we? Oh, yeah, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, the Passover, Exodus 12. What about the resurrection? It probably doesn't sort of roll off the tongue as easy, does it? Where is the resurrection in the Old Testament? Now, we could be here until midnight 
looking at all the prophecies in the Old Testament about the resurrection or pictures uh, of the resurrection in the Old Testament. I think the obvious one is first fruits in Leviticus, but we'll come on to that next week. We'll save that till next week, a treat for us for next week. So we'll just look at um, just a couple of the most sort of famous and obvious ones, the ones that the apostles sort of see in the Old Testament, the ones that they sort of preach to us. So one from the Apostle Peter and one from the Apostle Paul. So the first one is from the Apostle Peter as he's preaching in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And it's Acts chapter 2, verses 25 to 31. So this is the Apostle Peter showing us the resurrection in the Old Testament. David said about him, so David spoke about Jesus. I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And where's that from? Psalm 16. This is 8 to 11. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. You can't get more clear than that, can you? And then last one then, the Apostle Paul preaching in Antioch, I believe, in Acts chapter 13. This is 32 to 37. Acts 13, 32 to 37. We tell you the good news. We tell you the gospel. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us. Their children by rising Jesus, by rising up Jesus. As it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. Psalm 2 verse 7. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the Holy One as sure blessings promised to David. And that's Isaiah 55, verse 3. So, it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Psalm 16, verse 10. Now, when David had served God's purpose... In his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Acts 13, 32 to 37. So the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, prophesied the resurrection of Jesus. That's the second block of evidence, how we know that Jesus really did rise from the dead. And then thirdly and lastly, Jesus appeared to witnesses. We know that Jesus rose again from the dead because he appeared to witnesses after rising from the dead. 
And we read this in 1 Corinthians 15. This is 5 to 11. What do we read there? And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, the Apostle Peter, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Why do we believe that Jesus rose from the dead? I suppose our sort of snap answer would be, well, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead because it's written in the Bible. But the Bible doesn't sort of tell us, look, believe that Jesus rose from the dead and don't ask any more questions. It just says so in the Bible that Jesus rose from the dead. Don't think about it. Don't ask for evidence or proof. Just believe because it's written. But there is evidence and proof in the Bible, isn't it? The Bible is also a historical book, isn't it? There's evidence in the Bible for the resurrection. There are witnesses. The proof for the resurrection would stand up in court, wouldn't it? Because there are witnesses. Yeah, we believe Jesus rose again from the dead because the Bible says so. But the Bible also says there are witnesses who have seen it. But then the question is, well, why should we believe the witnesses? And I think the strong argument for this, why we should believe the witnesses, because they believed and they preached the resurrection to their death, didn't they? Their preaching was always centered on the cross and the resurrection. The apostles were persecuted, they were tortured, they were imprisoned, and they were killed for believing and preaching the resurrection. You'd have thought at least one of them would have said, okay, we made it all up. We did steal the body. We did hide the body. No, but they wouldn't recant, would they? They wouldn't. They said, we know that Jesus rose again from the dead. We've seen him. We have touched him. We know Jesus rose from the dead. We serve a living Savior. He's in the world today, isn't it? They knew Jesus rose again from the dead. No amount of torture... No amount of imprisonment could stop them. And some people would say, well, maybe they hallucinated. Maybe they hallucinated. 500 people don't hallucinate today at the same time. We're told that 500 brothers and sisters saw Jesus Christ at the same time, isn't it? It wasn't a hallucination. But what about um, verse uh, 8 and 9 of 1 Corinthians 15? What's that about? It would be good to touch on that. And last of all, 
he appeared to me also. So this is the Apostle Paul speaking. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to the Apostle Paul as well. But what does he mean? And last of all, he appeared to me also as to an abnormally born. What does the Apostle Paul mean when he says that he was abnormally born? Well, the word used here for abnormally born is just one Greek word, which is ektroma. Ektroma. And it means an abortion or prematurely born. So the Apostle Paul is saying, and he appeared to me an abortion. So the Apostle Paul is really sort of humbly insulting himself because in verses 8 and 9, he's really speaking about how unworthy he is. Like in the Bible, people call themselves a worm, isn't it? There's great humility there with the Apostle Paul. That's one part of it. So he's humbly sort of insulting himself. The Lord Jesus Christ even appeared to me, the risen Lord Jesus Christ appeared to me, an abortion like me who persecuted the church. But he's also referring to his spiritual birth. So the Apostle Paul's spiritual birth wasn't normal. It wasn't the same as the other apostles, was it? So before Jesus' death and resurrection, he called the apostles, didn't he? He called and appointed the apostles. But the Lord Jesus Christ called and appointed the apostle Paul after his death and resurrection. The spiritual birth that the other apostles' experience was very, very different to the Apostle Paul's, wasn't it? He was converted on the road to Damascus, wasn't he? Blinded by the light, isn't it? And Jesus appeared to him. But I love the end, then, of verse 11. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed, church at Corinth, This is what you believed. So the Apostle Paul is basically telling the church at Corinth, if you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, then you must also believe that your bodies will be risen from the dead one day when Christ returns. That's the logic, isn't it? So if you believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, you have to believe in the general resurrection. You have to believe that you will also be risen from the dead when Christ returns. So what does this mean to us? How can this passage sort of help us on a Monday morning and in the week? Well, quite simply, we must remember to preach the resurrection. We have to tell people about the resurrection, don't we? We must never forget to tell people the resurrection. 
If we forget to tell people the resurrection, it's not the whole gospel, is it? I was having a a conversation with someone uh, about what is the best sort of book to give someone as an introduction to Christianity. I I don't know, what would yours be? I wouldn't actually name this book, just in case I upset someone. (laughs) But uh, we were talking about this particular book, very, very famous book. And he said, oh, this is one of the best books introducing people to Christianity. But it's weak on the resurrection. A book introducing someone to Christianity that's weak on the resurrection. I'm not sure if that's the best book. But it's a very, very famous book. And many people have sort of come to faith after reading it. And I'm sure all of us in this room have probably read it and be blessed by it. But apparently it's weak on the resurrection. But we can't be weak on the resurrection. It is the full gospel, isn't it? Christ died for our sins. And he was risen on the third day. And that is why um, when, uh, when we pray with Nathan and Lydia... We always thank Jesus for dying on the cross and for rising from the dead. Every time we pray with Lydia in the morning and Nathan in the morning and in the night, I'm thinking we've got to make sure that they hear the gospel every day. We've got to make sure that they hear about Christ's death and the resurrection. And when Nathan and Lydia leave home one day, when they're 18 or whatever age it'll be, when they leave home one day, they can never turn around and say, well, my parents never told me the gospel. Every day we want to make sure that they hear, Jesus loved you, he died for you, and he rose for you to give you new life. So if we get an opportunity this week to tell people the gospel, we've got to say, Jesus died for sinners, and he rose again to give us new life.